And I mean, I just screamed that guttural mother, you know, animal, wild animal. Mm -hmm. Like I just, and I screamed and I ran out and told Kim to call 911. You're listening to a special edition of the 33 Methamphetamine, A Love Story. I'm your host, David Nelson. This is a special segment about Jamie and Judson. Jamie is a grieving mother who lost her son Judson to a meth addiction. We left in part one with Jamie speaking to Judson, who claimed somebody was chasing him. He then hung up abruptly. Since then, she has not heard from Judson. So before we pick up where we left off, I want to warn you that this podcast does discuss suicide, a suicide method, and substance abuse. Now, let's pick up where we left off with Jamie's story. So I called, his, I just got this, I got the mother gut, you know, something mm-hmm. bad and called his phone number. It went straight to voicemail and I went, oh shit. And so mm. I got I just got in my car and I drove the two hours to Reading. I called my friend. I didn't even grab, you know, I think I grabbed my toothbrush, but I, I was just going to go down and back, you know? So I said, I need to go find my son. So I called my friend and one of my best friends was a guy in Reading. And I said, um, I need to find Judson. And he goes, oh, I'm going with you. And I go, okay. So we get down there and it was um, like 109 degrees in Reading oh, wow. that day. And uh, yeah. And we get to my son's shop and the door was locked and he was, and I knocked on it and he wasn't answering. And I was like, whoa, it wasn't shut completely. Mm. It looked, it was, you know, mm. the handle was locked, but the door wasn't all the way shut. And so I pulled and the first, I mean, the hoarding, I can't describe to you. He had a 2000 square foot shop mm. or four, I don't know how big it, it was huge. And Floor to ceiling, wow. floor to ceiling, just junk. And mm. there was literally a path walkway through all of it. I, it wow. was unrecognizable to the Maltese militia shop that he built. And I walk in and I'm just like, oh, God, and I was calling his name, calling his name. He wasn't answering. And and my friend Tim stayed outside and it was kind of dark in there and I didn't really know where any light switches were or anything, you know, it was just kind of, it, it wasn't dark outside yet, but it was evening. And so I walk in and he had, like I say, made kind of a makeshift loft where his bed was. And I was so dreading. I, I walked up in every step that I took. I was like, Oh God, please don't let me find him up here. Please don't let me find him. And the thing at the door, when we first, when it first opened, when I pulled it open, his cell phone was sitting right there mm. and the keys to his shop. Mm. And I was like, this is not good. Right. You know, this is, this is not good. And like, you've got to be in here, you know? And right. so I, as I'm cresting the top, the, you know, the last step to the top, I, he's not up there. And I was like, Oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, maybe he's getting his mail. And then I went, no, cause his keys are in here. Mm-hmm. So I turn around and I start walking down the steps and I literally took my camera and snapped a few pictures because I thought I, this is unbelievable how much stuff is in here. I, you, I can't describe it to you. I, 
How Mm -hmm. one person could do that, I don't know. I do not know. And I walked down the steps and, and then I looked, you know, I can either go back to the door that I came in from and walk back through that path. And then I looked at the corner and I went, oh, the bathroom. I wonder if he's in the bathroom. Yeah. And so I, I literally, I, it was like a fork in the road. Do I go back to Tim and have him come in here with me or do I, am I just going to start walking to the bathroom? And I just did. I took like two or three steps towards the bathroom and something was hanging in front of me and he had, he had hung himself underneath the bed loft that I was just standing on top of. And I mean, I just screamed that guttural mother, you know, animal, wild animal. Mm -hmm. Like I just, and I screamed and I ran out and told Tim to call 911. Mm. And uh, I just, it was 109 degrees and I sat on the hot concrete and they couldn't get me to move. The firefighters got there, the police, the chaplain. And I said, I am not moving from this spot. I'm, I'm staying as close to where my son took his last breath for as long as I can, you know. Mm. And, um, it took them a really long time to get him out of there because of all the stuff they couldn't they couldn't um, roll the girding in. They had oh, to, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, just been a fucking nightmare since mm-hmm. then. And um, yeah, and and that blog. I, it, thank you both for reading it and for mm-hmm. um, for saying that because that really has been the sort of the barely the crack at the light that's showing some light at this in this dark tunnel because I had over 200 people reach out to me after I you know posted that on Facebook and some people I knew but a lot I didn't and they were just like thank you thank you for bringing mess thank you for you know not being ashamed and for speaking your truth because my son this my daughter that you know and and that's when I started just doing a deep dive into finding anything I could about addiction and recovery. And I was also, you know, <laughs> you know, just like really um, my, grieving mother podcasts. Um, I just couldn't get enough of those also. And so I, and then I found uh, Rashi's, your, your podcast. And I was like, a podcast specifically on that. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, this is awesome, you know. And uh, and then you know when I when when you and when you and I you know emailed at first Rushy and then we talked and I was just like just hit with this like amazing and profound glimpse from your words and your work, your great work into the the life you know looking through the eyes of the of the meth addict you know and just the craziness on our side that is is craziness on their side too but they don't see it as crazy which is you know the hoarding I, I heard from somebody who was a former addict uh, they told me oh yeah I, I would see a toilet seat an old toilet seat mm-hmm. at the dump and I would go oh I can fix that if it's shiny and they couldn't understand when we were saying it's gross it's disgusting mm-hmm. how could you you know they're like and they're offended because their eyes see a shiny beautiful toilet seat that they're just going to fix up a little bit and sell to someone and then it never happens of course but mm. I, I just I couldn't believe it because I would, every day I would go out there and there would be more 
and more and more. And, and then he went around the barn and put like this And my, my son was like really great at carpentry too. And everything was always beautiful and perfect. And he took this like gun that had this, like, I mean like a caulking gun, but it had this like, um, it almost bubbled up like, I don't know, sort of a sealant thing, but it bubbled up really like almost looked like Cheetos when it gets done, you know, it's this <laughs> bubbly weird, you know, and he went around in, on the inside of my barn and just kind of put that in all the cracks, you know, and I'm like, what oh, in the, okay. it, oh God, yeah. it looks so bad. <laughs> it, it, it's just like the brain on meth, mm-hmm. right? The brain on meth and um, yeah, just the craziness of it all. And I, you know, Rashi, I, your book, thank you for sending it to me. And um, I want to say a couple things about this book. I, uh, y- your title is Methamphetamine, a love story. And then on the front cover, you have the pipe that's, you know, billowing up into the smoke. And then you have the heart, right. the smoke that forms into a heart. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know that, that kind of got me. <laughs> and then on the, the business card, the person that's kind of, outlined in the and I smoke also but you I you're right this is it's a it's an amazing read I think you're an incredible writer and I I the thing that I love the most is how you are so empathetic towards uh, our fellow our, our fellow human beings who are former meth addicts and um I I I just love how you that shines through in your entire book and you're not judging you're not condoning you are just simply trying to understand and really hear it from their perspective which I as a mother of a most successful son until he got you know the last couple years of his life uh, turned into a meth addict and and I still blame I I do blame uh, a a 10-year addiction to Adderall I, I can't imagine a doctor prescribing Adderall to an adult man who's a firefighter who does not have ADD and oh mm. I oh I can't wake up you know I can't I can't go to sleep so ambient I can't wake up so Adderall I I'm really angry about that and the more I learn about Adderall the more I learn how um, it 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 is highly addictive and it's way over prescribed and I I do want to throw in the caveat that I know from talking to a few doctor friends that it's just really helpful in kids or people that really need it. But unfortunately it became a uh, sort of advice for kids to, Oh, I'm going to stay up and study all night, you know, mm-hmm. and it sure, it sure does make my mind clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and then, and then you, I'm sure you both know way more about this than I do, but I, there's that book the the least of us by, um, uh, Oh, wow. I just lost his name in my brain, but he, uh, he wrote a book called the least of us about meth and mm. um, it, uh, I think I have him. I think I pulled him up right here. Yeah. It's called the least of us by Sam Quinone, 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 Quinone. Mm-hmm. And it's called true tales of America and hope in the time of fentanyl and meth. Mm. And um, yeah, 2021. Wow. And he had also written uh, another book uh, before that dreamland about the drug epidemic, but he talked, uh, he talked a lot about the how meth changed in 2013 right. when uh, when the Mexican cartel started really you know re- totally re um, 
formulating it, mm-hmm. synthesizing it, or however, whatever the proper terminology is. Uh, you know, it went from home labs to now uh, the Mexican cartel, I guess. Is that what you're finding? It's, it's yes, it is. the main source. You know, Jamie, first <laughs> I just want to tell you thank you for joining us today. I'm so sorry for the loss of your son and you know, we've talked a couple times. I just so people kind of know how we got here. Um, I got an email in March of 2022, and it basically said I lost my son to meth. And I remember opening up my email, and I was just floored. I didn't know, you know, what this was. I didn't know who this was. And I read your email, and it just, um, just it, I was, I was like you said, I was just frozen. I didn't even know how to respond, and it starts with, hi, I just heard your podcast, episode number nine. Well, people that have been listening to this from the beginning know we started this in June of 2021, which is literally weeks after your tragedy with Judson, and that is just pure coincidence, and I had um, my mother, who was alive at the time, you know, I remember as uh, Dr. Nelson and I had been kind of toying with this idea for years because, you know, I think in passing in the hallway between classes, you know, he kind of knew about my meth research and then he mentioned about his ex-wife and it was like years that were like, hey, maybe we should do something. And then all of a sudden something changed in 2021 and, you know, he even says in like our very first episode, he's like, you know, for the next few weeks we're going to talk about this and I was not sure that we could do it. I've been, you know, fighting this battle to raise awareness about meth literally since two, since I started the project in 2004. We've done, you know, we've written articles, we've presented at conferences, you know, we've started the podcast now, we did a photo exhibit, and every time it just seems to be ignored, um, shut down, not appreciated. And I asked my mom, right as David and I recorded the very first episode, And I just told her, I said, Mom, I said, what if nobody ever listens to this? You know, and I and she was like, you know, so what if you're the only one? And she, you know, and she literally looked at me and she was like, so what? And she was so happy. And I thought, you know what? I can do this just for her because she watched me struggle with not only studying this, but the effects of the darkness on myself. You know, the toll it took on me, just like you're talking about, Jamie, the toll that addiction takes on people in the periphery, whether they're family members, we don't talk about a lot, whether it's researchers. And so I went with, you know, David and I recorded it. My mom and I listened to the first episode together and literally by episode two, she had passed away. And Jamie, you, you know, um, not only your email where you kind of reach out to me and ask me, had I ever heard of the link between meth and Adderall? And the truth is no, you know, none of my people, I've heard of it. I've never interviewed anybody that talked about it. Um, My sample, my people, my participants were very different than Judson. You know, they came from different backgrounds. But it was the missing piece of this puzzle that we've been literally focused on for like 20 years. And I know that uh, Jamie and I connected. You know, I again, it took, I don't remember, Jamie, if you remember how long it took me to reach out to you. I, don't remember. I feel like you reached right back. <laughs> well, I, I know I froze and I didn't know what to do, you know, um, and you asked for if I had, you know, if I knew anything about this and, 
you know, do I know any coalitions or any groups? And, you know, my answer is really no. It's like we're sitting here at this little small university in the middle of Oklahoma trying to raise awareness about this. But when you asked for the book and then I sent it to you because I've, I don't know if I mentioned this before or not, I had a professor who, while I was writing it and, you know, people don't really know this, but writing it took a huge toll on me, you know, kind of the toll you're talking about, but not so much where I was like draining myself financially, but my mental health was compromised because what it took to go into that data and it's not data it was people's lives. I had, you know, met people face to face, just like you and your son. They're different when you look them in the eye. And it took such a toll on me that, you know, um, I had, it was such a personal thing. And I know I've, I've told you this before, Jamie, but it's like my soul on paper. It's a very vulnerable thing um, for people to kind of not just learn about meth, but my, I don't know what, I don't know the right words for it. But, um, and then when you wrote to me and you said, you know, this one mother appreciates the work it like makes it all worth it and you know you are that one person now that I am so thankful that we continued on this journey despite the doors being shut despite my one of my key professors who I admire more than anyone in the world who told me in the middle of writing it Rashi no one will read your book and I remember picking my ego up off the floor and I was devastated I had a office at Rutgers when I was writing it and the office was covered from floor to ceiling in photo in photos and pictures and news stories and articles I mean I have this you know I like you know you see on tv like the mad scientist who has every inch of every space covered with this puzzle that was me and you know if honestly Jamie if nothing I first of all I want to apologize to you that the years of work we did leading up to Judson becoming involved in meth didn't make an impact on him not becoming involved in it. You know, it's devastating as a scholar to realize that all your life work is, is kind of a failure in that you're not helping stop it. I don't think it's a failure. I think the right people haven't seen it yet. (laughs) And I think also, um, again, capturing, you know, from, from, the other side, I mean, as a, as a mother, it just, it helps me to understand so much more deeply. And I have to tell you, I, when I read each case, um, and I'm, I'm not anywhere near being done, but I, I have to stop and take lots of breaks because the suffering that is happening in these people's lives and in the people's lives around them. And of course I know that first rate, but firsthand, but I just think of the generational meth use. It's, I feel like these poor people don't even have a chance that they're born into this. My God, it's, yeah. And so I don't know, there's, there's, I don't know if you've heard of this word it is new to me. Of course, we all know rehab, that there are a lot of people that are now trying to work in schools and teach kids uh, to not ever use drugs and they're calling it prehab. Oh, <laughs> have wow. you heard that? No, hmm. I haven't. Yeah, well, <laughs> kind of good, like right, that. right? And yeah. let's, not have a, let's not have a reason for rehab. Let's do the prehab. But, um, but yeah, I just I have a couple of people's podcasts that I've listened to that I think, um, I don't know, I can see you. I want to, you know, put the two of you together because I think you'd be a great guest on their podcast as well. And I think this is, I think your work is, I think it's amazing and, um, I, it, 
for me, it's important because like what you say, Rashi, about you didn't think anybody will, will read this or want to read it. And it's because it's not the, you know, it's not the sexy opioid, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's meth. And so we all have this sort of stigmatized preconceived notion about meth, but meth is out there and hurting Mm -hmm. everyday Americans and, um, and, and people all around the world really. And it's just, um, it, it needs, I don't know. I don't know what what the answer is, but I do feel that talking about it and shining a light on it is the first step, or at least an important step. Well, and I think too, Jamie, you are doing some great work. Yes. First of all, with your blog, and I love the points you're making as far as listen. My son's death is not going to, you know, it's going to. It's motivating you. That's what's so fascinating right. because yeah. you can so easily just fold up your tent. And do nothing, or like you, break down the stigma, right? Change the narrative about mental health, addiction, suicide. I love the fact you're you're talking about stop blaming, right. stop shaming the afflicted. Um, in my intervention experience, that's exactly what happened to wow. her dad and mom. Shamed her. She jumped off the couch. And the cousins and those who were present just watched her march out. Her dad would jump off the couch, chase her out to the front yard. Nothing was accomplished. But she served time in prison, and that was her rock bottom. Wow. And and that's how she was able to recover. But pharmaceutical companies, I love that you point that out, and overprescribing doctors. I mean, these are massive issues. Right. Massive issues. And then, of course, commit to, you know, educating, having this conversation like we are today. You mentioned curiosity. Um, you mentioned earlier earlier that maybe we know more than you, but <laughs> Rashi and I looked at one <laughs> no. another. And I looked at Rashi and said, no, I think no. Uh, Jamie has done a lot more homework. Uh, I'm, I'm just bringing experiences. You're bringing your research. Right. But, Jamie, you could probably write a book yourself. Sure. Um, this is a, such a powerful story, and we are just so honored that you were willing to uh, take time out of your day there in California right. and talk to us here in Oklahoma. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's very powerful, very powerful story. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate the, I appreciate the the platform and the willingness to do a little different than what you're what you've been doing and hearing it from another's perspective. Really do appreciate that. And I just, uh, I think the world of Rashi. I'm I'm just uh, I'm a fan for sure for life. Jamie, I'm I'm humbled. I'm honored. I, you know, meeting you has changed my life. It has helped to you know, encourage me, and I don't know about David, but, you know, to just keep doing the work for the cause, and it, you know, we never know why we do what we do, we, you know, we don't, even if you don't get accolades for it, you know, people are still dying from meth, it's, mm-hmm. you know, in Oklahoma, even though we're focused on fentanyl, you know, more people in the last year died from meth, and yet we're still not talking about it, and I know mm-hmm. I sound like a broken record going, we're not talking about it, we're not talking about it, but we're really not talking about it, and why? It is shameful. And, you know, I've had the disfortune, I don't know if that's even a word, of three times in my life trying to help an addict 
get help here in Oklahoma. And the most recent one was very recently. And I know that you and I texted back and forth a little bit about, about this, but, um, you know, at risk of, of coming across harsh, I really am coming to the conclusion that we don't really want to help people as much as we say we do. There's a lot of lip service, but when you have somebody and you're able to, you know, without the $20,000 that it's going to cost for the first month at a private facility, mm-hmm. when you are, um, you know, show up with somebody who you finally convinced to go to detox or to go to rehab and you're like, we need to get this person in today because as you're sitting there trying to get them in, they're changing their mind going, let's go home, let's go home. I have literally been turned away three times. And, you know, suitcase packed, we're ready, we're for this. And then they're like, oh, there's an insurance issue or there's a copay issue or there's not enough beds or whatever. And I have, you know, I have former students that work for some of the state agencies that deal with, you know, drugs and addiction. And they always, you know, will tell me we have tons of beds and we have open spaces for people that that need it. And I'm here to tell you from the front lines, that is simply not the case in the sense that there are barriers to getting people the help they need when you don't have a lot of resources. And if we can't remove those barriers, if we can't open a door to let someone into either detox or rehab, the minute that they show up, you are going to possibly lose them. And in my, in my view, their blood is on your hands, you know, and I don't mean yours. I just mean the the, the people. And it's just shocking to me that we make it hard for people to get help when it's so hard for them to get to the point where they are willing to accept help. And it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, those are some powerful words. Um, <laughs> and I, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, I, two things like David, you know, when you're talking about your ex-wife rock bottom, I, I have a strong, I don't know. I don't believe in rock bottom anymore mm-hmm. because rock bottom was death for my son. Right. And I remember that, um, that a lot of the rehab, um, places that I would call that really just wanted my money. Mm-hmm. Um, they sure. would, they would, you know, Oh, when they're ready to decide. And I'm like, how, how in the hell do you decide anything when you're in fight, flight or freeze mode mm-hmm. and you're not using your prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. you know, it, you cannot make a decision. I mean, this meth is more powerful than we can imagine. And the frustration as a someone who loves an, an addict of any kind, but, but meth, you know, and you can't reason with someone, you, you feel you're mad at the person. Like, I was mad at my son. Like, why aren't you going right. to But he wasn't Judson anymore. Judson was right. long gone. Mm-hmm. He, this was a shell, Judson shell with some other entity and you know the, the mess was running his brain his heart wasn't running his brain anymore and he was a different person you know and I know my son I know how amazing he was and I I, I feel like uh, just like you do you hear all the time nobody wakes up in the morning and says oh I want to no, <laughs> you know oh I want to be an out you know Thank right. you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the life I want. Oh. <laughs> exactly. And everybody, you know, that snubs their nose and like, oh, they choose this, whatever. It's like they did make a bad choice maybe once or twice. And then that, that meth, it just catches you so fast. I mean, it just changes your brain chemistry like that, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and then the the other part about, um, you know, the, the rock bottom, I just, um, I remember somebody telling me when my son, when I first found out about him, them saying, 
well, rock bottom is either, you know, they, they, they get clean, uh, they, or they, you know, have a tag on their toe. And I'm like, oh, sh- wow. Or they say get clean, go, they go to prison, yeah. or they have a tag on their toe. Right. Yeah, and I just quit, die, I, or go to jail is kind of the way they used to say, yeah. you know. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I don't know, there's something horrible about tag on the toe mm-hmm. when you're the mother of a dead child um, because my son did have a tag on his toe. And you know, you know, so, uh, Jamie, and you know, one thing I know we're probably taking way too much time right now. And I just want to like, no, you know, we in 2004 in Oklahoma and in 2005 federally, we put the pseudoephedrine behind the counters because we had this huge meth lab problem, you know, not only in Oklahoma, but across the country. And that was hailed as the solution. And, you know, from your story, Judson doesn't even enter the meth picture until after 2010. And so exactly. we stopped yeah. talking about it once we put mm-hmm. pseudoephedrine behind the counters. We acted like, oh, well, labs have gone down, so now the problem is away. And, you know, here in our little tiny research world at UCO and through our little conferences, we kept doing presentations going, no, 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 it's not. Like, we can't keep, you know, we can't stop talking about it. And, you know, I again, I don't want to say we failed. We did succeed at, at, at making it harder for people to cook it here. But often with drug policy and drugs, we have unintended consequences when we try these simplest solutions that are like, oh, we're just going to make it harder to make meth. Well, the unintended consequence of that was and is today that we have cheaper, pure meth coming in from the drug cartels in Mexico. So by the time Judson tries methamphetamine, you know, I remember you sent me that article, um, Jamie, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like about the name of meth. You know, what Judson oh, was yeah. was consuming wasn't even the same thing that my people that were interviewed before 2010 were consuming. Mm-hmm. And in my own interviews, they were saying toward the end of the study, you know, back to like 2010, 2011, they were warning me. They were saying, yeah. you know, there's a there's a more powerful meth coming and it's nothing like we've seen before. And I literally have an interview participant who tells me people are going to die. And yet we just stopped talking about it. We stopped addressing it. We acted like it didn't need to be part of this conversation anymore. And of course, you know, now we have the fentanyl and now we have everything else. But, you know, the question that you ask in your blog and the question that you asked me in your um, email to me back in March of 2022, you know, basically was about the Adderall connection to the to meth and is it a gateway and is Adderall to meth similar to what we see about opioids and heroin and I can sit here today and tell you I don't really know the answer to that I really don't know who's doing research on that but if we don't start to ask these questions and answer them and get the attention of policymakers at local state and national levels we will continue to see our loved ones destroyed by addiction from meth and other drugs, and we will continue to fail. And it is a tragedy that can be avoided, and it is shameful. It is shameful. Mm -hmm. And my heart goes out to you, Jamie. Meeting you is one of the best things that's happened in since 2004 when I started this study, and I just am so sorry that what we've been doing to try to raise awareness about this didn't help save the life of your son or give you the knowledge you needed at the time to see what you were seeing. 
Thank you. That means so much to me. And while you were talking really quick, I just want to throw in two more things. And then I know I don't <laughs> want to keep you guys either. But I, I'm telling you, when when you said, you know, nobody will listen and, the, you know, the word is out there. And the first thing that came to my mind was the word tweaker. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that's that stigmatized like, oh, they're mm-hmm. just a loser. They're just the, the least of us, as Sam wrote in his book. And, you know, and, and people just like turn the other way. They don't want to look. We don't want to see it. It bothers us. Um, and yet the, the cost to every single one of us for the medical, the property damage, the, the uh, first responders, the police officers, the detectives, the drug task force, the DEA, people like you who are <laughs> teaching criminology. I mean, it just goes on and on. You know, it, it is still there whether we, you know, don't want to face it or not. And then my other piece that I want to mention is the homeless and how mm-hmm. much of the, you know, mental health uh, issues and then addiction and how they, you know, what came first. I don't know, <laughs> you know, and they, how they, they both, for both reasons, there's just an incredible amount of homeless people. And I, for one, when I was in my pre-understanding of what was going on and, and really wanting to look at my own biases about it, I, you know, I would see a, a quote unquote tweaker and go, oh my gosh, you know, and yuck. And, uh, and then I would also homeless, like same thing. And now that I understand every time I pass, someone who is having an episode or who is obviously homeless I just I I put my hand on my heart and I say what happened to you you know I'm so sorry sending you so much love you know and I'm so sorry because my son wasn't there but he would have been had he not taken his life he might have been you know homeless on that guy walking down the road and I Uh, I just thank you both so much. I I appreciate it. And maybe one day we'll do part two and it'll, we'll have some better news. (laughs) Well, that, and you know, we will stay in touch, Jamie, and maybe, you know, sometime at some point when we both kind of heal a little bit more from the PTSD that accompanies meth at whatever level you're exposed to it, you know, maybe we can join forces more to continue to raise awareness about it. You know, a researcher gets some of the people from the front lines and mothers, family members, you know, we can Mm -hmm. demand that we have this conversation and demand from our representatives at all levels that we stop ignoring this and stop pretending that people aren't dying from methamphetamine and, you know, physically and, you know, figuratively by losing their lives. So thank you, Jamie. It is an honor to know you. I am so sorry that I didn't get to meet Judson. Um, And thank you for trusting us and joining us. And we will continue the conversation with you when when you're ready. Yeah, and uh, Jamie, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us on the 33. And just know you have two people back in Oklahoma (laughs) that are very supportive and... um, We'll be thinking about you. Just know that you'll be in our thoughts. And because um, it's only been, what, 17 months yep. uh, since yep. you found your precious son, Judson. So we are behind you 100% as you go through this grieving process. And also totally behind you, too, with your campaign here of trying to make the world a better place. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate you both so much. Thank you, David. Thank you, Rashi. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Okay. And we've never done this before, but we'll dedicate this episode to Judson. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're going to make me yes. cry. <laughs> Love you, Jamie. Thank you. Love Thanks, you. Jamie. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Jamie wants to give back and help others heal through grief yoga and recovery circles. She's in the process of creating a grief relief yoga series to help reduce the suffering of people going through tough times, substance abuse disorder, grief, trauma, or depression. You can reach out to her and get more information or just share your story with Jamie at jamieisfitforlife.com. That is jamieisfitforlife.com. You just listened to a special edition of the 33, Jamie and Judson, part two. Thank you for listening. Again, if you know anybody that may be contemplating suicide or has suicide thoughts, don't forget, you can simply call 988 24 hours a day. That's 988. And join us in our next episode as we have a special guest from the University of Oklahoma, Dr. Christopher Hill. Dr. Hill will bring a sociological perspective to meth addiction. Thank you again for joining us.